Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Oh my god, this gross. Corey Feldman does not know how to eat a freaking pizza pizza. Completely changed the face of everything. It's very unique. I will give it that. Oh, thanks. I don't want to embarrass myself. Should I embarrass myself? No, that's... Please, no. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I am embarrassed. Hey there, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences, whether it's because the more popular movie came out at the same time, or maybe this movie just didn't simply catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or what we don't love about it, and decide whether the movie is worth a revisit. If you enjoy the podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. So before we talk about this week's movie, let's give you a little something about ourselves. Mike, you go. Oh, right. I'm Mike Butler. I'm an actor and writer based out of the East Coast. I've done a variety of plays, short films, and web series in and around the New York City area where we kind of reside. Uh, For my day job, where I try to pay the bills, is uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a uh, movie theater manager. So I get to kind of see the final step of the filmmaking process as it goes which kind of gives us an interesting perspective, I think. It does give us an interesting perspective. Yeah, it does give us an interesting perspective because I am also a movie theater manager. I work at the same theater that Mike does. But honestly, we have not really kind of ever talked about that when we're watching, the, when we're talking about these movies. I think we haven't really done movies that we were around when they came out. Like, we weren't... That's just true. Well, like, that's not we true. Don't I am much older than yeah, you. You are. So. Yes. So that being said, I'm a writer who is based on the East Coast. Uh, kind of live uh, in Connecticut. Is that what you said? Yes, we are. In New York City. In, yeah, is okay, what I yeah, said. we're from Connecticut, which is about a 90 minute drive to NYC, which is not far. Uh, I've done a series of web series, short films, features, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've been writing for 20 plus years. Um, yeah, that's me, Mike Field, writer. Woo! I woo, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so. What we're going to talk about this week is one of Mike's favorite movies? Yes, it is. Really? All of all, time, t- of all time, top ten? It would be top... Well, I don't hold... See, this. every okay. time I talk, I can't hold Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Those movies are beyond films. Let me refrain, then. Top ten of forgotten films? How about that? Forgotten This would be my movies? number one forgotten film. Shut then. up. Really? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. I will attempt to tear that... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so... We are going to talk about... Mike, why don't you introduce this since it's your movie? All right. We're going to talk about the 2004 Tom Cruise vehicle. Let's see what it did there. Uh, Collateral. It's not his vehicle, technically. Technically. Not. Yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty off there. You know, if you just listened to me, we'd be all bogged down in traffic right now, and you would have made yourself an extra five bucks. Yeah, well, you keep that five bucks, buy you something special. Thanks, Max. I'll take it. I got five stops to make. What's your name? Max. Max. I'm Vincent. I'll meet you in the alley behind the building. Oh, no! What the hell? You killed him. Red light, Max. Hold on, hold on. Man, you were going to drive me around tonight and never be the wiser, but we're in the plan B. 
Now we gotta make the best of it. Improvise, adapt to the environment. Whatever, man, we gotta roll with it. You just met him once and you kill him like that? But I should only kill people after I get to know them? I'm not up for this. <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? There's a man named Vincent. I got another deal, Wade. He's already killed witnesses. He's coming to kill you. Max! I do this for a living! What's going? What's my work? Gotta roll with it. Adapt. Get your hands in the air! That's funny coming from you. But before we do, we'd like to always give people a disclaimer out there. If you have not seen this movie, you probably should. So if you don't want to listen to us talk about it because we are not going to hold back on spoilers, pause this, go watch it, and then come on back. But if you don't care, we don't care. So let's spoil it for you. All right. So, again, it's your movie. I'm going to let you break down the plot. And then, I'm, I'll, I, as always, I guess I'm the guy that comes in with the production facts for some stupid reason. <laughs> I think because I write them down. You started it. I know. That's, that's, that's not cool. But anyways, I'll let, you, I'll let you break down the plot for us. All right. Collateral is a film that uh, stars Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise, directed by Michael Mann. Uh, it's also got Jada Pinkett Smith and Mark Ruffalo in it. Basically, Tom Cruise plays Vincent, assassin for what we assume is a drug lord who comes into Los Angeles to take care of six different hits he has to do for the night uh, in a one-night period. And on his travels to drive him around, he meets Max DeRocher, uh, played by Jamie Foxx, who's a taxicab driver who's got this dream of owning a limo company. And Vincent basically bribes Max to drive him around and does not obviously tell him he's going to be assassinating people. But unfortunately, his first hit lands on Jamie Foxx's car, forcing Tom Cruise to take him hostage and drive him around for the night. And over the course of the night, they learn a lot about each other, kind of become friends or brothers in a sick, twisted kind of way. And Max has to kind of go from the small, meek man to kind of finally learning to stand up for himself in the most extreme circumstances. Um, And it all ends in a uh, kind of head-to-head fight against... Vincent. Awesome plot summary. Ah, it was all right. What? <laughs> it was good. It was fine. All right, so I guess I'll jump on that a little bit. You mentioned that it was uh, directed by Michael Mann. I don't know if anyone out there has seen any other Mann movies, uh, such as Heat, Manhunter, The Insider. He's got a lot. and they're, He's good. They're all, Manhunter's great. Uh, it was written by Stuart. Again, I always have to apologize for names. Beattie? Be- it's Beattie. Beattie, excellent. It's written by Stuart Beattie who is part of the writing team for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, 30 Days of Night, which actually is not that bad. I like that one. Uh, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, which is actually bad. No, I shouldn't say it's bad. It's not great. Uh, and he, I, he, uh, but in this, this movie itself, Collateral has uncredited rewrites for Frank Darabont and Michael Mann as well. Do you want to know why that is? Or do you know why that is? Uh, I kind of. We could, you could break. I know, you, I know you're all about this movie, so that's <laughs> fine. I'll let you break any of that stuff. So this was released on July 6, 2004, which obviously is in the heart of summer, uh, the week after July 4th, with the 4th is usually the big opening weekend. So it, it was released along with Little Black Book 
and Open Water. Open Water is the shark movie, with, mm-hmm. yeah, which is mainly an indie movie. I don't believe it was number one that week. I think uh, it got beat by The Village? I'm not sure. Makes sense. I know that The Village was in its second week and Born Supremacy was in its third week. So it was up against a lot of things. Yeah, especially the Born film is very similar. Yes, yeah. And, that, and Supremacy was the third one. Right? No, Supremacy is the second one. Second one. Okay, so that's a big sequel off the first one. So, I mean, that's a big thing because the first movie is really good, the Bourne movie. Mm -hmm. 125 minutes, rated R. Uh, You you said it was in it. Uh, Did you say Jada Pinkett Smith was in it too? Peter Peter Berg? Did not add Peter Berg. I added Jada, I think, but I did not add Peter Berg. Uh, $65 million budget. It it grossed domestically $101 million, which there you go right there. Made its money and more. Worldwide, it grossed $217 million. Opening weekend was twenty four million, which it's not. It wasn't an unsuccessful movie. It was it was successful, right? I mean, you got Tom Cruise in it. It's a big star. The big thing about this movie for me, the I so I was mentioning this to Mike, I think a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. So this movie was two thousand four. So shot two thousand three in the summer of two thousand three. I was shooting uh, uh, the feature, say the forest. Now I was shooting that on all digital. The big thing about this movie is that this was like the first big movie that was touting shooting most of it on digital. Yeah, like, like 86%, I think. Yeah, I initially thought it was all digital, but then I realized mm-hmm. that uh, the club scene was film and a couple of things were film. Um, but like this was back, and this is only like 15 years ago, but this is back when digital was first starting to become like widely used or, or maybe being widely used in terms of studio projects. So this movie was the first one to embrace that, which made it a big deal. because, And you can tell, obviously, uh, in some of the scenes. Yes. Well, and I think it adds to it, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. This was also nominated for Best Editing, which makes sense because it's edited really well. So that's all I have basically for production facts. Now, I know you've got a ton of stuff you want to get to. <laughs> so let's – this is a little bit interesting because I think in terms of why we chose this movie, uh, why it would have been forgotten, I don't. I, I think one of the reasons why is that this is only – and actually, I have a, I have a um, – I have a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I have a trivia question for you. Okay. Okay. So including this movie Collateral, there's only three films that Tom Cruise has played the bad guy. Can you name the other two? Tropic Thunder. That is incorrect. Oh, you're not counting that? No, I'm not counting he that. Left them to He's die. not the bad guy in that. That's a – come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should get one of them at least. I don't know if you'll get the other one because I'll, I'll give you a hint. They're both – Oh, man, I'm dating myself because I think they're both from – one's from the 90s and one's from the 80s. That dead silence you hear is Mike Butler's brain thinking. <laughs> I've only seen it once. It was a long time ago. But Magnolia, right? It wasn't – No, he's not – that's the, the – no. He's not the bad guy. Yeah, gee, first of all – I haven't seen it in First forever. of all, you should see Magnolia again. I should. Second of all, he's a legit bad guy in these two – okay, so uh, I'm going to give it just, to you. Just name him. Okay. I can't. So Collateral obviously is this one. Yes. Interview with a Vampire. Uh, he's the bad guy. Uh, he's the right. bad guy all in right. that. And Taps. Did you see Taps? Have you ever seen Taps? No. Okay, Taps is um, Taps is a movie that's set in a – Military school. He's young. He's really young. I think I've seen parts, bits, and pieces. Because it ends movie, yeah. with it ends with him. He goes. He's basically like um, like a troubled kid, and he and it ends with him on the uh, on top of like this uh, 
it's not this bell. That might be this bell tower, pretty much. And he's got a machine gun, and he's shooting all the students. And like they go up to him, and he's just this is fucking brilliant man, beautiful man. Like he says something like that, like that, like so. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, you should you should see Taps. Taps is really good. I, I can't remember where it comes in terms of Cruz's lexicon of movies. I want to say that it was one of the first two movies that kind of catapulted him to like, oh, well, this guy's pretty good because he wasn't the lead in that. Okay. I want to say Kevin Bacon was in that too, but I'm not sure. Again, I'm going off of I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, shame on you. I can't believe you didn't know Interview the Vampire. I figured you'd get I know Interview the Vampire. I just don't consider him the bad guy in that Okay, one. so the, vampire. the long way around to this point is that <laughs> I think maybe kind of why this movie, it doesn't get a lot of fanfare in terms of just general audiences, maybe mm-hmm. not people that are cinephiles. Right. Is because he's a bad guy in it. And Which I think, is what I would drew me to this movie. In sure. The no, no. I, I get that because you're not, I'm not saying you're general audience. Yeah, that's true. And that's not a bad thing to be a general. They're casual viewers of movies, and that's fantastic. Those mm-hmm. are what those are what makes movies happen because they pay the money. Um, but him being a bad guy, I think, turns some people off. I don't. I think they expect their Tom Cruise to be the hero. So I, I think that's probably part of the reason why this movie isn't talked about a lot by people. Because mm-hmm. I mean, in a regular conversation, when you're talking Tom Cruise, no one brings this movie up. They're bringing the Mission Impossible movies up. They're bringing, no one but me. No one but you. <laughs> they're bringing, uh, you know, all, a few good men up. They're bringing, like, all these, like, classic cruise movies. Top that, Gun. Top Gun. Like yeah, they're never bringing this movie up. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but that's what happens. Uh, and I think also part of the reason why maybe it got forgotten is the digital aspect of it, is the way it looks, which I think while me and you can appreciate what they're trying to go for there and a lot of other people that love movies, I think that it – People see the image and it kind of – I think it turns people off a little. Looks amateurish a little bit. Yeah, which is so far from the truth. The truth, yeah. When you, when you read about it and you learn about it and see what they're trying to do. And, but, and again, that's not Michael Mann's problem. That's not the cinematographers or the Michael Mann's problem. The problem is the, back then is the technology. It wasn't ready for what they wanted to do. I mean you watch a movie like he did recently called Black Hat with um, Thor – Hemsworth. Hemsworth, yeah. I mean that movie shot on digital. Miami Vice is shot on digital. I mean yeah. those movies are the remake, the 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 movie, the, the remake. Back, yeah. The, those those movies are shot on digital and they look infinitely better than what the but that's not his that's not his fault. That's just the technology. So why don't you I guess I don't know, is there anything you didn't like about this movie? Because clearly you loved it. Um There's not much I don't like about this movie. I will say the third act kind of, although Watching again, I like the third act a little more. It always seemed a little more kind of like, all right, we have to get to the end kind of a thing. Max just noticing Vincent's tablet on the ground and noticing he's going after uh, his lawyer. Great eyesight. Girlfriend. Yeah, it's like from 50 feet away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now I got to stop him. It's a little suspension of disbelief in a movie that was more. I think, yeah. Yeah, realistic. That's pretty much my only. But you got to wrap it up. So. No, I got gotcha. you. Um, That's really one of my only gripes about the movie. That's it? All right, I got, I got one. I got Just, one. Okay, why don't you no, tell me what you didn't like? About I'll tell you what. I, I do like this movie. Uh, I like the action. I like Tom Cruise in it. He, he's always, he's aside from anything personal, like, you know, his personal life in terms of like you know, I know that overshadows sometimes. Uh, he he knows what he's doing on screen, and he knows how to he knows how to do action, and he knows what works, and he knows he's just. In the moment, and he's t- and he's not a character actor, so he's always going to be Tom Cruise playing this guy. He's always going to have those mannerisms that Tom Cruise has. But every 
every big star has that. Like Harrison Ford is always going to be Harrison Ford playing this. You're never going to have these big stars encompass a role where you're like, except with Tropic Thunder, which is obviously so far from him, but he's yeah. also got tons of latex on him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that doesn't bother me as much as if you don't like Tom Cruise, you're not going to like that. But that doesn't bother me because I, you know, I, I love the scene in the club is great when he when they're you know the the when he's blowing everyone away and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, fever. Um, yeah, the club fever. Sorry. Uh, so okay, so one of the things that at the end of the movie, he's going after Annie. Yep. Which I don't understand why. Why does he start off the movie walking out of that building? Probably the. Data he has is so accurate, so to the minute. These people are going to be here at this time, this time, this time. She's probably so punctual about when she studies for her cases, when she goes in. And even she talks to Max about how That's her, she's yeah. got like a tradition of what she does during her cases that the case files probably say, Annie's not going to be here until, you know, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, whenever we are when we get into her building. But why start off? Why does he walk? Why does he start off there? Like I don't understand. Like why is, is that? Was that he got off the train there? I think he just got off the okay. train. That's the metro. Right. I'm not a huge. And I don't have no, a lot of knowledge of L.A. But. Right. So at the at the end of the movie, he cuts the power to the building. Why? That 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 helps her, not him. He's got a gun. She doesn't. Well, <laughs> according to Michael Mann, oh, okay. he cut the power to the building. Um, and this is actually something he learned from actual assassins and stuff from the special forces. You can cut the power to the building, and they're so used to working inside skyscrapers and buildings without power. You can hear the ebb and flow of the building, the creaks and stuff like that, that a normal building would have as it expands and contracts. And that allows you floor to floor to be able to hear anything that's out of the ordinary when you're hunting people that people are not trained to actually hear. So when Tom Cruise does that, he's using his old special forces knowledge to hunt Annie. But how do I? Okay, that's great. That's that. I like that. I like knowing that. But I should know that in the movie. I shouldn't have to find it on a special feature. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's like when everyone explains, like when the Marvel movies come out and nobody knows what's happening, and then they have this 20 minute explanation about like you know why certain people react certain ways. So, well, I don't know that in the movie. But I, that's a nitpick. I'm not because I don't want you to think that I didn't like this movie because I did like this movie. I do like this movie. I liked it when it first <laughs> came out. I just was like, why would you cut the power when you know you're not up against another assassin? You're just up against a lawyer. So there's really no fear. You just walk in and start, you know, who cares? I get that. Yeah. At the same time, you know, you're doing a movie where it takes place within a four-hour period, so there's not a lot that you can get out. So there's a lot that they put into the character work and stuff like that that you don't necessarily, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it, or it might come across as like little mannerism. But they can't really, they don't have the time to really explain a lot of stuff because they want to keep the movie Moving, which I think they do. Oh, the movie really moves. Well, yeah. The movie definitely moves. I th- Did you like the music? I, I do like, because he does that again in Miami Vice again. No, using I know, a lot yeah. of different, like, he uses his main composer, James Newton Howard, but then he adds little score beats from other people and then actual music Songs. Throughout, throughout it, which, I mean, I think comes from his being the creator of the original Miami Vice in the 80s, is that was his kind of claim to fame, so he uses that again. I love Audio Slave's song in that. I think that really works. But yeah, I think some of it sounds a little... The orchestration at the end is a little disjointed from the rest of it. But I still... I, I mostly enjoy it because I think the score is well done. But it is a little jarring that it's so different. Yeah, he does... I know he uses... He likes... Man, Michael Mann likes to use songs. Likes right. to use like popular songs or for moods for enti- to do the entire... Like when... 
it works in Club Fever because you know the, that's the song that everyone's dancing to. Yeah, so that works, and it's and I like that it keeps going throughout, and they don't ever like I I always don't. I mean, it, it's it's always like a tricky question whether to like when you have a scene in a club and and if it's a gunfight or it's a fight in any movie, and you the DJ inevitably stops the the beat like so that you know whatever it is so you can yeah, hear right. people right but like it. Yeah, do you? Don't you? But let's be honest. There's a shootout in the middle of a f- club. The DJ's leaving. He's not, yeah, <laughs> record scratching and leaving. I gotta get my equipment, man. This is too expensive. He's out of there. So, um, yeah. So no, I, I think it it works in the club. And I I know you're you're talking about the drive up to the club with the audio slave song, right? Right. That works too. I mean, that's kind of like a a prelude to like what's going to happen. The one thing I I thought because I was reading some stuff and and. You know, when I'm watching the movie, I'm writing my my viewing notes, but I'm also like kind of looking stuff up and just kind of you know whatever. And right. I know that man had written out biographies for everybody, and in the Vincent biography, he talked about how he loves jazz music. So then they go, and one of the hits is that is that guy at the jazz club, Daniel. Yep. The witnesses. How's this? I'll ask a question. What question? Jazz question. You get it right. We roll. You disappear tonight. If I walk out of here tonight, I will go so far away to be just like I was dead. And one more thing. These people in their rep here, Felix, well, you tell them I'm sorry. You tell them I had to. They laid a grant of immunity on me. I was compelled. It was either play ball or go back inside, and I'm not going back inside. I was surprised that he didn't incorporate more jazz music in the movie throughout just because Vincent is a is a devoted jazz you know lover mm-hmm. so I was so I, I mean but that's just kind of like oh well you know if you're gonna go that route why not why not you know use jazz beats to enhance Vincent and, and what he's doing but that's just a stylistic choice I just thought that was interesting that they, they didn't do that so yeah so what else did you love because <laughs> I know you because you, you've got everything I can well, go I through mean, a bunch of stuff but I mean, there's. I mean, like you said about Annie, how he didn't just go after Annie first. I love all the moments of um, intersection in this movie. How life's cross paths, and if only this happened differently. Like Mark Ruffalo is in the same hospital. He's in uh, Martin Luther Hospital when Max and Vincent go to visit Max's mother. Which He's going to the morgue, yeah. Which is you know another great moment. Like if he had only known then, he could have stopped this all from happening. Which um, can I just interrupt you and say absolutely. that I miss. Pre-Hulk, Ruffalo. Like, I mean, I get it. I mean, you're not going to turn down money. But before before he started doing all of these bigger movies, he was Mark Ruffalo was doing a ton of great indie films that I just don't ever see him in that much anymore. I mean, they, every once in a while he'll pop up in something, and that's yeah. great. But, like, he is really a really good actor, and I think that a lot of t- – and I, all these episodes turn into me talking about Marvel movies, but because they're all over the place because everyone's <laughs> in them. But like, I think it's it's a disservice to to people who watch movies out there to the general audience to see these people see like a Chris Evans to see like a Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo in these big big budgeted movies. But you don't realize that these guys are really good actors, and you know, I would hope that a lot of people would desire to see them in other stuff where they can actually stretch their legs, uh, metaphorically speaking, in terms of acting. Um, but pre-Hulk Ruffalo was great. Is great. If you ever get a chance to see uh, You Can Count on Me, 
with uh, have you ever seen that with Laura Linney? Yes, yes, that's a great movie. He is awesome in that movie, and she is great too. So, but anyways, go ahead, continue. I just I miss Brie Hulk. <laughs> there was an interview with him where he was talking about his character work in this, and obviously Michael Mann, like you said, puts a lot of character work into their histories and backgrounds. He actually shadowed for a few days an undercover cop who he stole like all his mannerisms from everything, like borrowed liberally was the word. He used. <laughs> And then he starts complaining about, like, how he learned to shoot. He's like a cracks marksman just because it gets the feel of, like, you have a gun here. This is how you should walk with a gun. He never fires his gun once in the movie. He did, I think he did that for uh, Zodiac, too. I think for that character. Because his character in Zodiac is supposed to be based on – is what the character that Steve McQueen based on uh, when he did uh, – uh, whatever his movie was where he, like – it was, like, the guy that he was playing was, a, was the cop that McQueen shadowed – for another movie, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes, agreed. Yeah, all those points of intersection, all those all those moments where things could have gone differently had someone else noticed or someone looked the other way. I thought I I really enjoy. Um, just just everything about this movie. Okay, so when was the last time you watched it? The last time I probably like six years ago. Okay, so you that was the first time that you watched it. No, I, no. I watched it when it came. I watched it. I didn't watch it in theaters. But as soon as it came out, I had – as soon as it came out, it was 2004. I yes. was still July in, 6th, 2004. <laughs> I was still in, in high school at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Watched this movie. We, my family rented it. We watched it. Uh, and I was blown away by it. I thought it was amazing. Hold on. So you didn't go see the movie in the theaters? No, and I don't know why. Uh, yeah. Well, Born Supremacy, Supremacy came out that week, which is probably what I watched instead. Okay. All right. I guess we'll put the put, – make a pass for that. All right. Fine. <laughs> Um, you, even you forgot about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right? So rented it, watched it, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, we had rented it from Tommy K's video, video place. It no longer exists. No more. Which like pretty much every video place. Yep. So it was, it was a 24-hour rent, I think. So I woke up early in the morning on a Saturday, went downstairs, watched it again, watched all the special features, watched it again, returned the movie. Um, and I think this movie is really one of the defining movies where I was like, this is definitely, this is what I want to do. You know, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones made me want to like learn about space or be a history professor. This is the one that made history me want to. professor. For a little while. Interesting. Um, this is one of the movies, this and I always say Rocky, watching Rocky had the same effect on me. Like, I want to make movies. This is, this is what I want to do. This is why I keep watching them. And so this, this is why I love Collateral so much. Gotcha. So it was a, a career-defining moment for you to become an actor turned podcaster <laughs> turned movie theater. Hey, who knows? You never know where your journey takes you, but that, that, that's, that's fair. Would you have liked this more if they casted Adam Sandler as the cabbie as that, that was he was initially going to be the cabbie? How bad is that? That would not have been good. I don't know because he's really good in Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, but Punch Drunk Love, he's playing somebody who's socially stunted and emotionally... In, in, incapable of handling every day, like every, you know what I mean? It's almost like he's playing in that, in Punch Drunk Love, he's a, he's a character that you could see on an SNL skit if they didn't take it to a serious tone, if they mm-hmm. took it to a comedic tone. Right. Like this movie, it's like, you're, you're talking like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a movie that he was in where like, okay, I can see him. Like, did you ever, like he was in the, uh, the Meyerowitz stories, I think that's what it was with Ben, uh, not Ben Affleck, Ben Stiller, and he's a little serious in that. But like, I, 
I mean, he, I don't know if he could do the stuff that Jamie Foxx is doing in this movie. I don't. Jamie Foxx is really good, and Jamie Foxx and he was Tom gonna, Cruise together make this movie. Their their connection with each other is it's like a it's a two person mm-hmm. kind of movie. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, probably San, not. Sandler was going to do this movie, but dropped out to go do Spanglish. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you would have had that same reaction. I might have still enjoyed the movie, but it, it really is Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise's movie. And, well, and so now it is, yeah. Head downtown. What's downtown? How are you at math? Sorry for five hits? I did four. Why didn't you just kill me and get another cab driver? Because you're good. We're just together. Fates intertwine, cosmic coincidence, you know? You feel the shit. Oh, crap. I'm full of shit. You're a monument of it. You have bullshitted yourself. All I am is taking out the garbage, killing bad people. Well, well, that's what you said. You believe me? Did you also know where the title comes from? That I didn't know. Okay, so I don't know if this is BS. And and I I get it. Like, you know, it does – because it does make sense. Like, collateral is like he doesn't care about collateral and – Everybody around him, right? Like, yeah. That makes sense. If that's the way. That's why it's called that. Sure, but I read that the title of the movie references Vincent's professional name, Vincent Collateral. Now I read that. Now listen, even when I read that, I was like, "That's not true. That 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 can't be true." But like, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's true, but I did read that, so it could be not true. So. <laughs> not that I'm trying to. I don't like this movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that was his name in the original script. Um, like you said, it <laughs> had a bunch be, of rewrites. It, it could completely be a joke, and uh, that's fine. I hope uh, not. I'm not saying it isn't. Oh, but uh, that's so bad. <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> they call me. Oh, I, I can't do it. Um, all right. So I brought it up before. One of the big, one of the things about this movie is the fact that it was shot on digital. So when you first saw it, did you? Did you know that going in? I did know that okay. because I remember reading that online, and it was a it was a big deal that D- Tom Cruise or Michael even Michael Mann would be doing a movie that was considered you know a television format basically. Yeah. So did you th- now that you've seen it a bunch of times? What do you think of because uh, like what do you think of like the because di- now in the in the movie it's all digital, but then you have the Club Fever scene, which is all film. Which knowing that I did notice right, uh, so yeah. that's what I was going to ask you like. Seeing the difference of uh, how the movie would look in the club and outside, and granted, I know they did the digital outside to give the to give the outside world more of an atmosphere to make it more of a character, right? I, and I understand why they they opted to do that. But seeing the difference when you're watching it, like I kept thinking after after the club fever scene, I was like, I, I would have liked to have seen the whole movie shot on film because I liked the way club fever looked. Even and it was, it's. I thought it still held that grittiness. But go ahead. What do you, What did you think? I think it only holds that grittiness because it's so lit. It's lit so blue. I mean, you can't. It's it's lit only by the by LA in a lot of scenes. The the skyscraper scene could not have been done. The scene where he's hunting down Annie at the end couldn't have been done. Where you get that amazing backdrop of Los Angeles coming through, and the only light is the city bouncing off the walls. Like you would have to have lit that, and you you would be able to tell. There were the city lights going stretching when they're in the streets, which you wouldn't have been able to see. And the apartment scene where um, – I'm sorry. I don't remember Ruffalo's character's name. Fanning. Fanning. Uh, goes Par- into that the, apartment. The apartment scene when he discovers the, the, the broken window that yeah, they went out of. Yeah, when he discovers right. his uh, – The first guy he kills. Dead. Yeah. yeah. 
all these lighting things you couldn't have done on film without lighting it more and you being able to tell. It really gives it a real quality. The sky, when the sun rises, you wouldn't have been able to see that on film because the digital picks up light more than even the human eye can normally see. But you're talking about, mind you, and I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not uh, an expert on this. You're talking about digital now. Even was digital then back was able to really? pick up a little bit more light than film would, yeah. Okay. So there are things like, that you, you wouldn't be able to pick up that natural light with film. Um, even Michael Mann said that in that skyscraper scene, the way we see it on film, the way they saw it, they were all nervous how it was going to come out. Um, because they'd have to tell all the actors and crew to stop, turn the lights on, reset the scene, and then do it again because they couldn't see where they were going. And a lot of people were nervous and didn't really trust Michael Mann. Like, uh, is this going to come out okay? It doesn't make any sense because he's got a, he's got a backlog of movies. Right. And yeah. his cinematographer obviously trusted him. But, no. I mean, and stuff like I don't think you would have been able to see that, that sunrise coming up uh, toward the end. I think which when, I they're, really like. when they're walking away from the train. Starting... A little bit starting when Jamie Foxx is on, when Max is on the phone with Annie, you start to see the sun come up. And then, yeah, by the time the train ends, you can definitely see that sunrise. You right. wouldn't be able to get all those colors on film. But you, you know when they're on the train, that's all green screened. The train is not green screened until the window, when, right you see when, the outside. He, when you see the parking garage outside. That's when it's green screened. Uh, so right before Max and uh, Vincent I, shoot. I thought he, no, when he sits down, that's what I'm talking about. When, they're right, sitting when down. he sits down, right, yeah. Right, no, everything else is dark when they're. Right, right. I'm sorry, when you start seeing the sunset, the sunrise, excuse me. Through the, through right. the car windows. Maybe, right, yeah. when he's sitting down. Yeah, so I like the di- – I don't I, – because part of the reason why – I mean I use digital. It's exp- inexpensive. It's cheaper than don't film because you have to remember what, for people out there that don't understand, know the process, you shoot on film. You, you, when you're shooting on digital, you can have it right to a monitor and you, and you can see everything right there. And you can make right. adjustments uh, in real time. Um, it's it's just a quicker thing. You put on a hard drive, you're good to go. You know that's you're 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 basically recording a file, and you could just upload it right to a, a computer, and person go edit and run off and edit however fast you want to do it. Right. With film, you gotta like you know you can check the gate, you can check everything, you shoot it, you put it back in a roll, you have to send it out to to a uh, processing plant uh, or, or a place to process the film. Then you watch dailies into the end of the night. Like that's usually what was standard back in the day. Probably not so much now. Maybe not as much now, but back in the day, you'd watch it. You know, you'd shoot like eight, ten hours a day. Then you would, you're done, and then you everyone have to meet a couple hours later after dinner to go watch the dailies and watch what you had just shot and decide whether you could keep going or you have to reshoot them the next day or something like that. So it's a process. I mean, you know, obviously everyone had it down pat back then, and and up until one digital kind of like came to the forefront and technology came to the forefront in terms of handling film. So. It, it it's it does allow for a quicker shoot, quicker setups. You still have to light. I mean, a lot of people I know when when digital first started coming out, people were just like, "You don't have to light that much." Go, yes, you do. You have to light, but you just have to light differently. You can't light like film. And that was a right. lot. That was a lot of people's problem. Cinematographers that were so used to shooting on film thought they could just light digital the same way they light film, and that's completely incorrect. Uh, you know, it's, it's a it was a tough learning curve for a lot of people, and a lot of people you know couldn't adapt, and that's why you have you know a, a bevy of young cinematographers that are re- raring to go because they have all they have done is worked on digital um so yeah so i understand why the use of digital for this movie especially when you're outside I, aesthetically you're looking for a certain look and that's fine i get that and it looks great i think i think it works 
Uh, but I also think they did it so that they could. He used it so that it could be quick and shoot and shoot and go and and and. But I don't know. I mean, I know what you're saying about the Club Fever scene. It looks great because it's lit well. I I know they did. They I know that they shot some outdoor scenes with film, but I had I would have to go back and find where where that happened. And I'm sure it probably was when they just couldn't get the lighting the way they wanted it to, and it was just like to shoot on film. Like probably like the car crash. Maybe, maybe because of the action. The action, and then even when it's already upside down and they have it lit. Yeah. Because that's, that's a very well-lit scene, mm-hmm. I noticed. So when, when they go to the end, when the, when the car crash happened... Oh, and I should mention, since we're talking about the cinematography, two things. One, this when we keep saying digital, it was shot on a Viper Filmstream HD. That's the camera that they used. They tested a whole bunch of cameras and a whole bunch of uh, different, like, uh, I guess, quote-unquote stocks, which aren't really stocks, they're just... You know, they, they you use a bunch of different lenses and stuff like that. Yeah. But also, this one uh, best cinematography at the BAFTAs, which is the British Oscars, so it, it did get it has international recognition for being you know well shot. So I'm not disputing any of that. It just it's just it's always an interesting when you have digital versus film. I think it's always an interesting you know juxtaposition of terms of like, well, how would this have looked? How would that looked? Why you did, like? There's always that question, right? Especially uh, back right. then. Now, I mean. You know, all the Star Wars are shot on on digital mostly. But I, mean, I think all of them, right? The whole entire movies are shot digitally. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't so, know about the spinoffs, but the- I mean, I, that that probably aids that definitely aids for the special effects. So I mean, it's now it's just part of the standard culture. So, but back then there was a definite pushback against that and and against you know shooting digital solely or film, film, film. You know, like it was there was right. that definite like you know push and pull of that kind. Of, so so this movie kind of like is. Right in smack in the mat, smack in the middle of that. So just that question. That's why I'm kind of like. That's why we're talking about it. Right. Just because it's it, it is. It's not only a part of the movie, but it's also part of like the culture of filmmaking back then. So this movie came on. It, it could this could have completely flopped just because it. You know what just I mean? Because it was digital. Right. right. Yeah. I think what helps it, and probably because, you know. I'm a writer. Is the story's really good? Story's fantastic. Yeah. The characters are amazing. Right, right. The, yeah. that, that, yes, this this is actually probably you could probably argue that this is more of a character piece than it is a plot driven film. Yes, the plot is what's you know this guy's out here to kill six people um, because they're going to testify against this uh, drug lord and he wants them shut down. I don't. I, although I don't understand why you're going after the prosecutor. Who cares if you're killing if you're killing all these people? Why are you going after the prosecutor? But send a message. I man. guess. I guess that and that's fine. I'm not going to you know that's fine. So, you know, that while that is the plot and that is what drives the characters, this is really more of a character study of, about because you don't because Max gets to Vincent at times, especially when he's in the taxi cab and he's, he starts explaining what Vincent's life's like, you know, like, you know, grew up at homes and never had anyone. Right. Right. And you could tell it pisses him off. What's with you? As in? As in, if somebody had a gun to your head and said, you got to tell me what's going on with this person over here or I'm going to kill you. What is driving him? What was he thinking? You know, you couldn't do it, could you? Because they would have to kill your ass because you don't know what anyone else is thinking. I think you're low, my brother. Way low. Like, what were you? One of those institutionalized raised guys? Anybody home? And and the standard parts that are supposed to be there and people in you aren't. So there's definitely that 
that kind of like give and take between the characters and, and, you know, Vincent Max, the only thing with Max is like, you know, and maybe because I can relate or, or I've known people that are just like this, somebody who has the big dreams. Oh, you know, I'm just staying right, up yeah, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I think, I think his character is a little easy to define because I think he's more, he's more of the audience. He's more relatable people. There's a lot of people that have big ideas and they're still working their jobs. You know, maybe they want to go to, <laughs> they want to go write and make movies, but they're still at their movie theater job. <laughs> so, right. We got this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what makes Max, he's part of the audience, so everyone can relate to that. Right. Someday, someday my dream will come. One night you'll wake up and you'll discover it never happened. It's all turned around on you. It never will. Suddenly you are old. It didn't happen. And it never will because you were never going to do it anyway. You're pushing in a memory that zone out in your barco lounger, being hypnotized by daytime TV to your life. Don't you talk to me about murder. All it ever took was a down payment on a Lincoln Town car. That girl, you can't even call that girl. What the fuck are you still doing driving a cab? So, I mean, I, I don't know what anyone would do if somebody like Vincent gets in the car after getting uh, after getting his list of kills from the transporter, uh, Jason Statham. Fun fact. I saw. I know where you're going. He was supposed to be the transporter. They, yeah. they, they left that open. Yeah, that's... that's uh, I guess that was kind of like an unwritten, written thing. Like, he's supposed to be that character. But then he's the bad guy. The transporter is a bad guy. He he's... never opens, he doesn't pay attention to what he does. He just knows he has to give Tom Cruise the right. bag. So maybe he's the, yeah, but maybe he's the transporter before he's like, you know. I think this was supposed to take place before Transporter right, 1. Right. So before he gets right. a conscience. He's, and yeah, I forget that Statham's like in his 50s. He's, he's yeah. not. So young. Jason Statham's in this movie. He's like a quick camera. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so so I enjoy I enjoyed I guess I, I guess the roundabout way is like I enjoyed the movie I enjoyed the story I, I, it is a character study I think a lot of times I think one of the things also that jumped out at me when I was watching it was in preparation for the part did you see that man had crews go make FedEx deliveries yes I did so that so that so Tom Cruise can. So his character Vincent is supposed to be somebody who can walk in and out of a building, in and out of a location, and nobody really rem- recognizes him, knows that he's there. So in preparation for that role, man had crews do FedEx deliveries um, in the LA market, like you know, and just walk in, deliver, and leave without. So he could get try to like you know go unnoticed or just try to like be that character of Vincent, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if it, I mean, there's footage of it. Yeah. Like him delivering. No one notices him. He actually sits down and talks with some old guy at a coffee shop uh, on his break. Is he, but is he dressed as Vincent? No, he's dressed as a FedEx delivery guy. Oh, so like okay. he's undercover, like he's just got a hat and sunglasses on, but he still looks like, you know, yeah. early two thousands, Tom Cruise. He's got the longer hair and the beard and he's sitting down. Oh, talking he's got a this. beard. He's not a full beard. Like uh, it's his Tom Cruise. kind of like half right, shaped. Right, 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 right. And he's sitting down talking to some old guy having a coffee. This old guy doesn't even know who he is. And they got like hidden cameras like nice. Falling around. Nice. So I, I thought that was cool too. <laughs> and then Max had cabbies. A lot of the cabbie conversations that Max has about being a cab driver are actually lifted from the cabbies that Michael Mann and Jamie Foxx interviewed. Um, during their preparation for the roles. Well, what conversations? Just well, stuff like how the night shift's a little better, people are, oh, are, are right. calmer, smoother, stuff like that. And the way Jamie Foxx kind of treats like certain people in the back, like you never know, like it's like a radio show and like the people arguing, how he just has to kind of block them out. And like you can emote, but you don't look at the... Don't look at the mirrors when you emote if you think somebody's ridiculous. All that kind of stuff. He learned from these cab drivers like following them around as yeah. well, which is cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's, that's nice. 
yeah. like that. I like that. I mean, that's but that's that's what makes it more. Uh, I keep using this word, but more relatable. Right. I like the. Did you like the the coyote? The whole. Uh, did you know about that? I love love the coyote scene. Okay, but you know that's from like Native American Navajo legend, like that kind of thing. You know what that's I all did about? Not okay, know about so that. so when a when a coyote crosses your path, it's a bad omen. And so in in Native American uh, Navajo folklore, it's like when that happens, you're, you you if you continue on, what what you're when you if you continue to cross over the path, like he crossed your path, and you continue forward. Yep. You're most certainly going to face death and 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 you know bad things. But if so, a lot of people will say like in uh, the Navajos would be like you just turn around and go the other way. So, but you know, but when it comes, it's not really like Max has a choice. You know what I mean? So he, he has to go there, yeah. right? So you know, it's just kind of like you know, I liked it. It's, it's there's no return from. There, I mean, yeah. there's definitely coyotes roaming L.A., so that makes sense. <laughs> what I always got from it was that the the two coyotes are like are wild animals they cross through and that's like supposed to be Max and Vincent. You know, the other coyotes found the other coyote through there and it's just untamed. It's an untamed wilderness at that point. Yeah. In this hour in LA. I, I think both ways work. Right. Right. But that's, that's cool. I did not know that about the uh, Navajo lady. So like, yeah. So you think you know everything about your movie, but you don't. <laughs> uh, so the couple of things that I just story points, since we're talking about story points, I think Fanning is quick to believe that it's not the cabbie. Like, I know they reference the Oakland uh, cabbie murders. That, yeah. Okay. But, like, Vince has been doing this for, what, six years, he says? Six years in the private sector, yeah. Right. So you would think that his M.O. is pretty much the same. So he's probably done this before with cabbies. So, I I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's in a cut scene, but, you know, can't you, like, I, I was waiting for something like this happened in Oakland and in New York six months after that, before that, and. You know, uh, Chicago six months before that, like kind of like this has happened before. But mm-hmm. I know it's uh, that's a nitpicky thing. Uh, I want to the the ending. So Vincent referenced what's going to happen at the end when he tells the story about the guy in the MTA. Right. I read about this guy who gets on the MTA here, dies. Oh. Six hours he's riding the subway before anybody notices his corpse doing laps around L.A. People on and off sitting next to him. Nobody notices. Did you like the fact that like he says it again at the end? I, yeah. I, well, I well, love well this movie. I love that. Okay, but see, like, but I, I, I would, I kind of think like he didn't need to say it at the end. Like that, we get that from the image. You know, like you now he's that he's that guy. I think it's just another like anecdote he sure. can say to Matt. It's it's that like kind of bond that they shared at the beginning and then the end, and it kind of wraps it all up. Like this was our night, man. Like yeah, but Vincent was gonna kill this dude anyways. He was only going to kill him because of Annie. No. I, I don't think Vincent was going to end up killing Max at the end of The this. other cabbie, uh, just referenced the Oakland cabbie one. Right, because the other Oakland cabbie didn't get to him the same way that Max was able oh, to well, get to Vincent. Well, you're assuming that. Okay, all right, okay, all right. I mean, at that point, Max saves, uh, Vincent saves Max in the club and almost looks at him like he's annoyed that he did it. Like, mm-hmm. why did I just save this guy? All right. Like, he's connected to Max in a way he's never been connected to anyone in his I, life. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm not just, I'm merely just kind of like I, I you. peppering you with stuff since this is like, this is a Butler heavy episode of <laughs> cinema um, that, you know, you, that, that your love for it. But, um, all right. So I guess, cause obviously it's, we both probably agree that it's worth a revisit. Oh, absolutely. You should watch it again. You should share it with people. But like, that's, uh, let's put this, let me put this out because it's 2004. So we're like 15 years from that. 
So you probably have people now, like, let's assume that there's people like 18 to 20, 21 that have never seen this movie. I guarantee you tonight, we are both working tonight. Yep. I guarantee you tonight we should ask people, hey, you've ever seen Collateral? Like, that's actually, we should something doing in the before we do these episodes. We should ask people if they've ever seen the movie and see how many people haven't. But part of the thing with Forgotten Cinema is not just the fact that, like, people, audiences forgot that when they watched it, oh, I like that movie, and they never went back to it, but also that, you know... There's new generations of movie audiences out there that just don't understand that, like, there were great films that came before them. I mean, me and you have movies in, that we have yet to see that we know are great, that we've heard are great, you know, but that came out before our, our time, and we just, you know, we have to get to them. Yeah. I remember, I mean, there's, I'm not going to mention this kid's name because it's infuriating, but he claims that he's a movie reviewer but he won't watch anything prior to when he was born which is like 1991 right no oh, yep yeah yep. it's like that's just that's ignorant and insulting yep. and you can't call yourself a cinephile if you're if you if you're a cinephile if you say you're like hey i'm a cinephile then you either should know about movies that were prior to you or you should want to watch these movies so tonight i'm sure there's going to be someone that has not seen this movie exactly Shame what, on them. what would you like like how would you tell them that, hey, listen, you should see this? Like, what would you say to them? What would be the, not the sticking points, but the selling points for, of this movie? And don't just say Tom Cruise. Uh, so this is, I'm <laughs> trying to talk to a person who says I'm, they're a cinephile, so like, not a regular Joe? No, no, I'm like, so I'm some 20, I'm some 19-year-old kid, okay? I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in college, and I'm like, you know, like, oh, man, movies are, I love, I I loved, um, I love the Marvel movies. I'm all about Iron Man. I'm all about these movies. And then, like, oh yeah, no, I only know Tom Cruise from the Mission Impossible movies. And I heard he did a he did a movie about fighter jets. Like, so, <laughs> so I, uh, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know Jamie Foxx. I only know him from Django Unchained, maybe. Uh, and I know him from Annie. The I have to walk away Andy. from this kid because I, I, I get arrested. I'm telling you that this kid is not – but he but he wants to like movies. I want to watch – so you think I should – somebody told me that Collateral is a good movie, man. What do you – should I watch this piece of crap? <laughs> Absolutely watch Collateral. Collateral is a great movie. It's the first – one of the first digital movies. So it, it, that doesn't mean too much today because they all look – they can kind of match the look of film. But you can watch it then and you can see how different early digital look from film and – it really shows L.A. as its own character. It really is lit very realistically. It's super gritty in a great way. The acting is amazing. Tom Cruise plays a, a fantastic bad guy, which he doesn't often get a chance to play. The story starts and does not stop. It's going to be one of the best two hours you've ever spent watching a, a Tom Cruise film. Um, and if you like film, every aspect of production is fantastic in this movie. You should I definitely check it out. I would also add, if, you, if this person likes film, you should say to them, if you like film, you really should watch Michael Mann movies because Michael Mann really knows how to, 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 to put a movie together. Right. Because Ma Manhunter is fantastic. You can, you can do classes on Michael yeah. Mann movies. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So, I mean, I guess that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I... Hey, man, maybe I'll check it out. That's, that was me. Is it like Captain Marvel good? Uh, Could you say that this movie's better than anything that's come out of the MCU? MCU being the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One of my favorite movies of all time. Is it Absolutely. the best? But is it the best movie that could it be? Is it better than any movie that came out of the MCU? I want you to say that. I want you to put that down on podcast radio. I don't know. Disney, I, I love you guys. I think what you're oh. doing is great. Uh, well, they probably own this movie by now. They probably own our podcast by now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 so
So yeah. So yeah. Okay. So that's good. I mean, yeah. It's 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 a really good movie. I I don't know if I love it as much as Mike does. Clearly. And that's fine. But it was it was clearly a career changing, adolescent moving movie for you. So yes, it's a great movie. You should see it. I mean, like I said, I think you know, I Mike loves it, and that's fantastic. It's and it, it it was. Wait, do you not love it? No, do I, I need to stop this podcast. No, right? no, no, no. I do like the movie quite a bit. I do. I don't not like it. Um, I probably just don't have a connection to it as you do because it was obviously a movie that you watched growing up, so it kind of means a little bit more to you in that regard, which is fine, which is great. You know, I have movies that are like that with me, so. Really old movie. No, I'm just not that old. But um, <laughs> but no. So I th- I think we're of the same mind. It's a great movie. You should watch it. You should check it out. Um, but yeah. So watch Collateral. I like that. I have like 18 different pages of notes, and I haven't used. Oh, I mean, you could have. I mean, but you know, I was waiting for you to come out pepper me with these stuff. That's fine. Too many notes. Well, you could do that in the extended version the of extended this. Uh, cut. All right, let me let me, where let me fire just, off some fun. Where facts. it's just you by yourself with like a scotch and a cigarette, and you're just like, all right, I mean, you're talking real talk to the camera. I'm gonna break it down for you, collateral style. <laughs> also, let's not confuse this movie with Collateral Damage, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Ugh. That movie has nothing to do with this movie, and you should probably just avoid that movie at all costs. So, yes, that's a terrible, <laughs> terrible film. All right. Why don't you um, why don't you plug us up? Why don't you get us some get, start off with your plugs because you've got a you've got a ton of plugs to go. All right. Well, first I'll plug this. This is Forgotten Cinema. Woo! Uh, so definitely uh, like us wherever you can like us. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We're on the Facebooks. We're everywhere. Uh, like us, share. You know, share it. Listen to our podcast. Please rate and review our podcast if you're listening. You know, every little view and rating helps. We take suggestions. We do. You can uh, uh, send us a comment on any of our social yeah, media platforms. Anything. Yeah. I mean, get 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 at us somewhere. Yeah. It might a, take us a while to get to it, but we'll get to it. There's a contact form on the website as well, so you can always suggest it through that way. Personally, all right. Pers- uh, field going. Uh, I'm gonna go. So uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I've got two books out: Adam Parker and the Radioactive Scout, Adam Parker and the High School Bully. Uh, those are available on Amazon.com through ebook and paperback. Uh, if you like what you if you like what you read. Review it, please. If you don't review it, please. That's fine. I'll take anything. Uh, that's it. I mean, I just I I mainly just sit at my computer and write, like lonely, and just writing. Oh. Not not lonely. Yeah, no, it's lonely. <laughs> but but that's it. I mean, I'm just writing. Write, write, write. That's cool. Um, I don't have 45 other podcasts that Butler has. All right, let me list them off. <laughs> <laughs> so if you like the sound of my voice, I've got two other podcasts. <laughs> Uh, they've already shut it off. <laughs> uh, I've got Two Player Bros, which is out now. It's a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games. You can join my brother Alex and I as we talk about all things video game related. I've also got Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise that I do with my fiance, Elise, uh, where we crack open a different beer uh, from a different craft brewery every episode. We talk about the beer, where it came from, a little bit about the brewery, what's in the beer. and Hops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeast. Yeast and hops. It's great. And then we talk about, you know, pop culture news and reviews. Come on, just say it. Brews, say it. news, and pop culture reviews. Ugh, sickening. <laughs> so, that's what I've got going on right now. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this is Forgotten Cinema Podcast.
shits on the MTA here in L.A. dies. 